Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of A Little Bit of Everything with me, and I am your host, Angelica. This is a podcast that talks about a little bit of everything, so sit back and enjoy the show. And welcome back to another episode, a little bit of everything with me. Today, my guest is a leadership educator and the founder of WSL Leadership. Welcome, Iggy, to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great today. I'm having an awesome time. And I'm stoked to be here talking with you. Well, thank you for coming onto the podcast because I'm so curious to know about emotional intelligent leadership. And you are the founder of WSL Leadership. But before we even get into it, please introduce yourself to my listeners. For sure. My name is Iggy Perillo. And yes, my, my company is WSL Leadership. And I work to give leaders an emotionally intelligent background and backbone to their work so that they can serve their people well, serve their organizations well and still be productive and make money, meet their benchmarks and do amazing things in the world all at the same time. That's awesome. And I love how you're short and sweet about it because you just never know who you're going to get, right? You're just like, <laughs> yeah. oh, so we're going to go on for the whole entire hour, which I've heard on different podcasts, but just the intro. Yeah, yeah. I could, <laughs> I could monologue. That doesn't seem very fun to me, to you, but if you need me to just, yeah, wink at me and be like, start the monologue. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. And okay. Explain to me and my listeners, what is emotional intelligent leadership more into detail, because I'm curious to learn more about this. Great. Sure. Uh, emotional intelligence is sort of this idea of it's one of the types of intelligence we have. We talk about people who are like, oh, I'm really a, a math person or I'm really a languages person. And, you know, these sort of ways we view the world and emotional intelligence is another way that we can enact how we interact with the world and the people around us. And there's sort of five main pieces of what emotional intelligence means. And this is based on the work of Daniel uh, Goleman. He was a researcher. He wrote a book called Emotional Intelligence, you know, a pretty creative title uh, way back in the 2000s. And there's been research and psychological research around this for a while. But he would say there's five main parts. One is self-awareness. And that means being aware of yourself, you know, it's not too deep there, but also aware of how we feel and how we our emotional state. And we are actually mostly terrible at this we if you ask someone how they feel they'll tell you one of three things happy sad or angry and if you're like no really how do you feel they'll be like i'm hungry and you're like okay like that's not what we're talking about there's more to you there's more to how your emotional state so that's what emotional self-awareness is being aware of your emotional state in a really nuanced way part two is self-regulation which doesn't mean trying to like be super mellow and flatlined all the time that means being aware of how to amp yourself up when you need to be amped up, but also bring yourself back to being more centered if you feel sort of pulled in different directions and applying that in the right way at the right time. Like there's some places where it's great. You need to be amped up. You don't want to just be like flatline all the time. So that's self-regulation, how to modulate your feelings, how you're going to react, and then to use it at the right time. Third part is internal motivation. So what how you can motivate yourself to do things that might be difficult, might be challenging without relying on external motivators or external rewards or punishments or stuff like that. Like how you get things done for yourself, by yourself, intrinsically motivated. 
Part four is empathy, which we feel like we know a lot about, like it's caring about other people, being aware of other people, being tuned into how other people feel. And side note, you can be empathetic and not be a total pushover at the same time. Having empathy doesn't mean you have to always do what someone else wants. Having empathy means being aware of how other people feel, their needs, what they need to have happen. And the fifth part of emotional intelligence is, it's broadly called social skills, which kind of makes you feel like a kindergartner, but also this means how we communicate, how we interact, how we deal with conflict, how we navigate social situations in different ways, how we approach and reach people in different, you know, kind of broadly across the spectrum. So those five parts are self-awareness, self-regulation, internal motivation, empathy, and social skills. And that's what Goldman would say makes emotional intelligence a thing. And so if you apply all that to leadership, you want a leader that is aware of themselves, can regulate themselves, can motivate themselves, is empathetic and caring and builds trusting relationships with the people around them and has the skills, social skills of communication, conflict management, these different areas of how to basically bring people together and help them get the most out of those relationships and out of themselves. More like everyday life, which oh yeah, again, for those listening, it's everyday life. And I feel like every point that you've mentioned is can be like, I'm even thinking about it myself. I'm like, how do I treat people? How do I, you know, react when it comes to, when it comes to conflict, how do I resolve things? So it's just part of our everyday life that I didn't even think about. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's not just about like, I'm the boss and you're not the boss. So we need to be emotionally intelligent. It's how any type of relationship can be approached with emotional intelligence. And I bet we all have experienced just any human interaction where you're just like, whoa, we were not on the same wavelength here. Like this just got weird really fast or whatever it was. Maybe there is some emotional intelligence deficits on one side, or you're just not syncing up together to make communication, make your goals, make whatever flow well. And that can be your family members. That can be your neighbor. That can be, you know, anyone you interact with. Absolutely. And I feel like a lot of us I've noticed, and this is why, this is by me judging like, and what I feel people are going through where, it's that confrontation and a lot of people don't like confrontation. And I'll be honest. I don't like confrontation depending on the person. If it's a random stranger, then possibly because you're just like, I'm not going to see you ever again. So I'm just going to say whatever I have to say. But when it comes to friendships or relationships, people in your family, you're just like, if it's funny how you hear, well, you can be honest with me, but when it comes to honesty, (laughs) everyone kind of just, uh, okay, you want honesty, I'll give you honesty. Then there's this, you know, fiasco of an argument. And then what happened to, well, you can be honest with me and it's not going to hurt my feelings at this point. So a lot of us tend to just, you know what, you want to be honest, then I'm not going to be honest. And I'm just going to say, well, it was great. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> or I'm yeah. Okay. No, you didn't hurt my feelings. And deep down inside, you're just like, yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. We do a lot to sort of, and that's this like sort of placating social skill, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to ruffle anyone's feathers. I just want it to be fine. I don't want to. And, and it's fair to be like, I'm not interested in investing in this relationship. I don't need to like meet some random person on the street and have like learn their life story. Like I just, whatever, I'm going somewhere. I have something to do. And like there's this interesting part uh, a lot of the work i do i end up i start with people really being clear on their personal values and honesty comes up all the time as a personal value people are like i'm really honest i'm an honest person i'm like cool are you really honest when someone is wearing a really really 
like ugly sweater and they are like hey do you like my new sweater like how honest are you in that situation you're like well you know i don't want to hurt their feelings i'm not you know whatever people step away from being honest so i'm like oh so you're situationally an honest person like mm, is that really a, your personal value if it's situational and i i love your your scenario there where someone's like be honest with me and they want honesty but they only want like supportive honesty <laughs> like they don't even actually want to hear that you don't like their sweater they don't even want to hear, you know they're almost fishing for compliments right and we're like okay they're fishing for compliments i can play along or they're like oh how do you feel great and they just want to hear fine they don't actually want to engage with you about how you feel or what's going on with you you know kind of it's a more casual conversation or interaction so yeah i think there's there's something we said for being actually clear on what your values are you're like and maybe it's not honesty, people. It's okay if honesty isn't one of your core, you know, driving values in your life. Great. Admit it. Own it. And it's worse when you say, I really believe in honesty, and then you're not. Like, that's called hypocrisy. And we don't trust people who are like hypocrites. We don't trust people. We don't know where we stand with them. So you're better off having values that you actually believe in and act on every day than these sort of aspirational values that you claim to be real. And you're not alone in avoiding conflict, by the way. <laughs> that's... <laughs> That's a lot of people out there. There is a lot of people like, for example, how do we deal with situations? And this is just something small and basic. So people kind of get an idea of how to do it. Like the holidays just pass and whoever's hosting, they always say, well, just be honest with me. Was it good? Do you feel like I need to change something? Because, you know, the host always tries to impress their guests and they want to make sure that the food that they're serving is going to be great. Now, if that person came up to me and said, you know what, tell me, like, I would be like, yeah, it was great. Like, even though if I didn't like it, I'm going to give what you said, just that comfort of honesty, like, yeah, you know, yeah, it was good. Like, it was great. But then on the back of my head, I'm thinking, damn, if I'm invited over again later on and they're serving <laughs> the same thing and I don't like it, what do I do? But then there's people like my husband who will give you the flat out honesty and say, mm. no, it was crap. Like, I'm sorry, I did <laughs> yeah. not enjoy it. <laughs> but then you feel bad because you're just like, like cringy. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> so how can we, how can we provide that honest opinion that won't hurt the person's feelings? Cause there's gotta mm. be a way of saying it because if you're like, my husband says it was crap, I didn't like it. You're missing salt. You should have added a little bit of pepper. You should have done this, this and that, then I will be offended, but there's gotta be a way where we could still be honest. But how do we say that in a tone mm. or a way of like not hurting the other person's feelings? Yeah, this is a great question. And there's a lot of nuance to this, right? Like, you know, what feels authentic to you, what feels authentic to your husband is like, cut straight to the like stab to the heart. And like, that feels authentic to him, right? And what feels authentic to you is to be like, no, I need to like, make them feel good about this interaction, right? Like, so you're maybe on the side of like, Oh, I, I just want them to feel good from whatever happened. And those are great places to knowing where you start at is important. And then the, the sort of other thing to consider is like, what's my relationship with this person? Like, do they really how much when they ask how was the food, what what are they really looking for? Are they looking for, here's the parts I did like, and then you just sort of don't mention the parts you didn't like? Or you're like, oh yeah, the you know, the bread was awesome, but you like just skip mentioning that gross main dish, right? You know, whatever it was. Or do you like do you need to say like, hey, do you want my critique as like a, a gourmet chef, or do you want like the like tweet, you know, which was like, you just want the emoji response, like thumbs up, you know, whatever it was. And so how you understand and relate and how you, you know, your history of communicating with that person is going to affect how that interaction goes. And maybe it means like, I, I hear you saying, feel it. I feel from you that you want them to feel good about it. 
whatever it was. You don't need to like cut them down. You don't want them to feel bad about it. You want them to feel good about their efforts, what they tried or whatever. And this is like the, you know, you end up with these weird compliments we give kids like, well, that was a great effort. And we're like, what do you mean that was a great effort? <laughs> like, how, how was it though? You know, or you really, I can tell you really put a lot of, you know, energy into this. Like they sort of, they become these sort of weird backhanded compliments <laughs> around like, yeah, but what, did you like it? Was it good? And I don't know, like, is it, is it fair to say like, you know, this is, I can tell you put a lot of effort into it. I can tell you really worked hard on this. You know, I heard that you were cooking for two days to make this meal happen. And you know, this just wasn't my type of cuisine. Like, I don't know, like I've never had this before and it didn't, you know, whatever. I, don't, I was gonna say it didn't resonate with me, which is not how we talk about food, right? Like it didn't, you didn't meet my taste, but like my taste is unique, you know, whatever it is, how to, how to inter how you interact with that person has a lot to do with like what your goals are for that interaction and your relationship with them too. And there are ways to communicate that they get what you're saying and it doesn't have to feel like a stab to their heart necessarily. And they never want to speak to you again. Like that's, it sounds like that's not your goal. And, or maybe it is, you're like, Hey, I really can't handle it when you make you know, whatever this dish, like it, it offends me. Like, please don't serve that to me again. Like maybe that's what you need to tell them. Like this, I'm allergic to this. I couldn't eat any of it. I don't know if you knew that. Um, don't invite me when next time you make it. Cause I don't want it. All right. So I see what you're saying. And yeah, I'm the person who does not want to hurt the other person's feelings, but how as the person on the other side, receiving it, now, if we're being thrown the compliment or the, the critique of, of our dinner or a meal, I'm still using that same example because I feel like it's perfect because all the time we're consciously meeting with people where we're hosting. And sometimes that's always the common question. Like, how was it? Was everything great? You know, I, I just, you know, I, I took me like three days to do this. I found this amazing recipe. Now, how does the other side receive it when it comes to, no, it wasn't great because it does hurt <laughs> our feelings, you know? Yeah. Well, I think there's there's a way to frame this conversation too as the asker, because you're asking for feedback, right? And this happens in lots of different areas. And I love this example actually, because it is it's mirrored in so many different ways. Like, how was my presentation? How was my report? How was my project contribution? How was, you know, we can ask all these things and it's qualitative. Like, it's not just like, oh yeah, your meal was a 6.7. Like, no one, who cares? Like, that makes no sense to us. It's like how it made you feel, how you interact with it. And so I think the uh as the asker it's like if we really want an honest opinion i think people say hey i really want your honest opinion and they don't mean it at all right they did they, they they say that but they really just want a compliment and so like ask for what you actually mean and be intentional about what you're asking for and it could be like if you really want a specific thing be like hey did i use enough salt in the you know in the side dishes today great like this is like a yes or no answer right you can start a conversation or are you really curious about, are you fishing for compliments? Like be aware enough and to be like, tell me all the good things about today's meal. Great, they can tell you all the good things about today's meal. Tell me what I can improve on, on our you know dinner we had tonight. That's gonna open people up to be like, oh, this thing you could improve, you know, whatever, fold the napkins into swanier swans, like whatever it is, like that opens up a space for someone to tell you something they want to have different. Or Another great question is like making these sort of feedback questions really open and curious. Like, what would you have done differently for this meal? Like suddenly the other person is like, oh, they're asking for my expertise. They're asking for my opinion. And so then the person asking can sort of sort out like, oh, they would have done it this way. I was once, yeah, 
at a friend's house making uh, like a little side dish. I'm like, oh, how would you do it? And they're like, oh, I do it like this. I'm like, I'm not going to do it that way. Like, thanks for your tips. Actually, I don't know why I asked you that. I was just trying to have a conversation. I'm not going to follow your recipe. I'm going to do it my way. Like, you know, and that does that's it was funny, you know, because I knew these folks, but it's a little weird to ask for feedback. And then you're like, actually, I'm never going to follow that or do it that way. But you know, at least we talked, we had an interaction about it. So being clear on what you're asking for when you're asking for feedback can really help people out and help them trust that you want to hear it and that you're open to it. I think there's also this like, yeah, tell me what you feel about this meal and you actually don't want to hear it. Like be ready for what you could hear or frame what you could hear. Like tell me the best parts. Tell me, you know, two things you would, two tips for me to do better next time. Tell me one thing one side dish you would add, you know, whatever it is, like if you're looking for something specific, ask specifically, because I think that puts the listener in a more comfortable spot. So they're not wondering like, how honest do I need to be? Or what are they looking for? Are they, you know, are they really going to take this in and listen to it? Or are they just sort of, or are we just chit chatting here? Like, is this, how deep is this conversation supposed to go? And because some people are so attached, right? They're, they pride themselves on their cooking. They pride themselves on their hosting and you're just casual, like, yeah, it was cool, whatever. It's suddenly like an insult to them because they take so much pride in that and you're not recognizing it. So I think framing this, those conversations can really help as the person asking for feedback, asking for an opinion so that you set the other person up to give you what you want and what they want. So you're both happy with that interaction. Oh my gosh. Yes. And thank you for providing different ways of asking and remembering what you're asking. Cause it's true. Sometimes if you ask the you got to be honest with me question, then you're going to get the honest answer. But I love how you, you kind of said, well, you know, should I add in more salt? Should I add in more seasoning? You know, what, how could you have done it in a different ways or other ways of doing it to receive that constructive feedback and not get the whole hearted, like my husband would do it. Like, no, it was crap. Like, I'll never eat this again. What is this? <laughs> Another thing is, is because he's a good cook and I'm not, I'm, I'm like, I'm not going to lie. He actually is better than me. And sometimes I feel like it's pressured. Like I'm like, I'm cooking for chef Ramsey or something. Oh yeah. 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 I'm just like looking at his reaction when he picks up the first bite and I'm thinking, oh my God, did he like it? Did he not like what's going on here? But yeah, it can be difficult to receive that uh, feedback, but like you mentioned is finding different ways to do it. Now let's go into a different scenario here. How do we deal with difficult people? Because I feel like <laughs> the more and more we're dealing with it now, I guess social media is one of the biggest ones because, you know, people behind the keyboard tend to say whatever they want. Um, but how about within our, within our circle or we're out there at a, you know, we're shopping and there's a difficult person that just really wants to give you a hard time. How can we, you know, manage that situation ourselves so we don't get all boggled up here. Yeah, this is great. I think we, for sometimes we get to choose who we interact with and spend our time with, and sometimes we don't, right? It could be we're out at, you know, we're out shopping, we run into someone, or in our, a lot of our work environments, we don't get to choose our coworkers. You know, it's just not something we have the power to impact or influence. And there are difficult people out there who just don't quite mesh with you. And I agree, like, any, I don't know if you are familiar with Brene Brown, but she talks about giving attention to people who are in their arena with you. And everyone on social media, most of them are not in the arena with you. Most of them, you know, like it's easy to say, but hard to always, you know, ingest. Like, why do you care about their opinion? Some, you know, blah, blah, blah at smiley face, smiley face dot, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't, who are you? I don't know. And I don't care. It's easy to say. And yet 
their words can be painful. So good luck detaching from social media and all that garbage and spending your time and attention on the humans you interact with and the relationships you value the most, right? And maybe the person you interact with at the store, like you see them every day, like you have some relationship with them. And maybe it's just someone like you need to get something done and they're literally slowing down your day, block, you know, just somehow taking your energy, taking your time, just not supporting your goals, right? And so it's a little different, right? If it's someone I don't have any relationship with whatsoever, I'm never gonna see them again. It's, it's good to know your boundaries and your limits. And maybe those limits or boundaries are, hey, how you're talking to me right now is not okay with me. You know, you're coming off as really rude. I don't know if you realize this, but you sound really aggressive right now and I'm not here for it. See ya. You know, if you, sometimes you need to detach, step away, do whatever. But you're really about meeting your goals. If it's someone you have to work with to meet shared goals, this is like another complicated situation. It's a teammate. It's a family member. It's someone that you are invested in goals together with, right? Totally different type of relationship. Somewhere where what our goals are matter to both of us, but how you're doing it and how I'm doing it are not aligning somehow. And you're how you are acting, interacting, communicating, whatever it is, is slowing me down and slowing down our ability to meet goals together. And goals, you know, could be a project, a re refinancing your house, building, you know, making a family, like whatever your goals are collectively, like you probably have other people that are somehow involved with those and how you invest in those relationships matters a ton, right? Because we want those people to be on board with our shared goals. And so when those personalities are difficult or like, it's interesting, you talk about your husband and I have, already have this snapshot of you being like, everything's great. Let's hug it out. And him being like, no, cut to the heart around food. You know, I don't know him, but like really diving in and being really direct when you're, it sounds like your style is maybe a little more softer and a little more maybe mm -hmm. indirect at times, but still you get to the point. It's not just like all fluff. And so you already have these sort of differences of perspectives. And sometimes it's how do we maximize our perspectives to meet our goals together? And other times it's like, what are the boundaries of what's okay? Like, hey, this is actually too harsh, too direct. Or I'm sure he could all say to you like, whoa, you're too fluffy, you're too soft. Like, can you be more clear? Or, you know, whatever it is. Like I could imagine just these sort of differences of, of perspective or just how you communicate that needs some negotiation, some navigating. And this is like that social skills part of emotional intelligence. Like how are we together gonna figure out what our goals are and how we're going to meet them together in a way that serves both of us and serves all of our needs. You know, like the goal isn't always like the number one thing. Like actually you might need to have some like time. Some folks are very extroverted and they need to be out there and engaged in front. Some people are very introverted, right? And they need to be sort of stepping back. And if you make a really strong extrovert and a really strong introvert teammates together, sometimes it's just really tough for them to interact because one's always like, go, go, go out there, big, big, big. And the other one's like, whoa, dial it back too much, too much, too much, you know? And so how they navigate those types of differences, really, it depends on the relationship. You know, I'm going to tell you it depends 5,000 times, but being open to what our shared goals are is really a good place to start and what our needs are to meet these goals together. When once we realize like, oh, you need some space and quiet and you need some like direct action to see tangible steps happen. Cool. How can we do both of those at the same time and still work toward our goals together? You know what? It's like you nailed it right there. <laughs> I'm yes, I'm more of the soft person and I just don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And sometimes you have to, which is okay, but it depends on the situation, of course. Sure. It's, but, it's having a boundary. It's okay yeah. to have boundaries. I'm just going to tell you that again and again. It's okay to have a boundary. Yeah, for sure. And I know he's very like in your face, like, no, how does that going to work? Like, how is that even possible? Like he's, 
I feel like it's because of, I hate to say this, but sometimes it's true. It's because he's the man and he's more of like, he has a strong personality and that portrays it. And then he puts them together and then boom, that's what you get from him. Yeah. (laughs) And and when I ask him like, oh, I'm going to start a podcast, then he's going to be like, well, you know, he'll list out like 10 things, at least 10 things to tell me not to do it and what to expect. Meanwhile, I'm more of the optimistic type of person. And it's funny because now, you know, I've surpassed like three years over 650 episodes, you know, I've won three awards and I'm just like, I told you so. So I'm the person (laughs) that tries things out. And then I'm just like, well, here are my results. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I feel like you're speaking a little bit to this difference between the really concrete thinkers and maybe the more abstract thinkers who are like, I'm going to try it. I'm going to make it happen. I mean, I want the experience of it first versus sometimes our concrete thinkers, which, you know, stereotype sounds like it's like one of the divisions between you and your husband is like, well, here's step one, here's step two, or like, I need to, t- it's tangible. Don't do this. Definitely do this. Like it's sort of more black and white thinking versus a I'm going to experience it and do it thinking, which both have their place and are valuable. And it sounds like you're already navigating and negotiating this and being able to say, cool, my way works too. Like it it doesn't have to be black or white. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. It can be an exploration. It can be a process. And some people love engaging in the process. And some people are like, just cut to the chase. Get me to the end. Like, I don't, don't tell me about the process. Tell me what steps to get there. I'm going to see you at the top of the mountain. Bye. And they just like sprint up and you're like, cool. I'm going to enjoy the flowers along the way. It's okay. There's people that think about the negative and they're just like, well, what if this happens? Like, you know, you're not going to make this much money or you're not going to be able to produce, or you're not going to be able to do this. You're not going to be able to do that. And it's just like, when I hear those people, it's not just my husband, but with people around me, I'm just like, okay, cool. But I don't like having regrets in life. I like to try things. And if it doesn't work out, then, Hey, let's close up shop and move on to the next thing. Because at least in this world that we live in, especially for us who are very fortunate to live in Canada and the U S we're given so much opportunities. And for me not to take advantage, and this is my, this is the way I think, then what's the point? Like there's so much you can do here. Take advantage of it. Absolutely. And I think the behavior, all our behavior is meeting some need. And those people that are like, watch out for this. Oh no, don't do that. Like those, that behavior, it meets a need for them. And so it's interesting to look at someone who's telling you not to do anything or like basically telling you to hold yourself back is a weird, it's interesting, right? Is that about power for them? Is it about, they want to feel like they're on the same level as you? It's just like this sort of part of my brain that's always like, what's going on for them in this, in those conversations? Like what need is this conversation meeting for them to try and hold me back? And cool, maybe I just need to cut off my interactions with you because you're too much of a negative Nelly or cool, you're part of my life. Let's meet this need for you in a different way so I can flourish and you can like direct your energy in a way that meets your need and doesn't rain on my parade because I got places to go. Yeah, I agree. And also it's like having, there's the people that would stay in that job for like 50 years, what some people do work for that long. And then there's the other ones who hey, let me go and settle here. Wait a couple of years. There's a new opportunity. Let me go. And then I will, you know, people just want to excel and excel and excel, get take on new experiences. But there's the other side where you're just like, you're going to leave this job, but you've been only working here for like 15 years. Like 15 years is too long. <laughs> like let's move on. If there's an opportunity, it's like I mentioned before, and I always use this story as an example, uh, fantastic guest. He's a lawyer, well, was a lawyer. And he said, you know, I started, I went into law because 
at that time, back in the day, you had only like four options to get into university. So I figured, hey, instead of being an accountant, I might as well just be a lawyer. Worked in that industry, did not like it whatsoever, hated it. The money was great. It put food on the table and everything. And then just recently he realized, you know what? I'm going to leave this job and I'm going to be a photographer because that's what I love. And then I was just like, wow, after so many years being in that job, he took that leap out of his comfort zone and became a photographer. And I'm just blown away. (laughs) Yeah. I think there's this other thing we're seeing now with, uh, you know, the great resignation that's been sort of percolating along and people not willing to take on environments where it is, it's weighing that on them and being able to choose your career path. I love the, yeah, move different places. Or if you find a place that resonates with you and you can move and it meets your needs or, you know, either pays you enough to not care or, you know, fulfill is fulfilling to you. And I think feeling fulfilled in your job and in your role is so important to people's life happiness. We spend so much of our time in our place of work, in our business, in our careers, that if that is like a piece of stress and drain and, you know, crushing our souls in our life, so many more people are leaving that. And I'm so happy that people who can leave those situations are leaving and they're really voting to bring it all back (laughs) full circle. They're voting against a leader who's not emotionally intelligent. Those workplaces, you could be doing any job in the world and your workplace could be crushing your soul or it could be fulfilling and meaningful and you know really satisfying to you as a person. And that's where the leadership and their emotional intelligence really affects the teammates, the work, what you're doing. And lawyers, by the way, have a reputation for having terrible toxic culture in their offices. It's just everyone I know who's a lawyer is like, oh yeah, I like this work, or I love this, but like, oh my gosh, the hours, oh my gosh, the petty squabbles, oh my gosh, the political this. I've yet to meet a lawyer. I Maybe I need to talk to more people that are on their own practice because maybe they would tell me it different, but any lawyer I've ever talked to in a in a law firm is like, oh yeah, the culture is terrible. Oh yeah, the culture is toxic. Oh yeah, but I get paid well. But but you know, like there's the butts that keep them there, but I, I applaud your buddy who, stepped away from that and that practice in general that wasn't resonating with him to do something that was more fulfilling and more meaningful for his life. And I feel like a lot of people shouldn't be afraid either, no matter what age you're at. Like I remember when I was going to school for architecture, um, there was probably like three people in their seventies trying to get an education. I don't know if it's because they're wanting to start something or they're part of something they want to elevate their education. Like I had no idea, but you know, anything's possible. And sometimes when I hear the the expression of you can't teach a dog old tricks and I'm thinking, yeah, you can like, how bad do you want it? Like, how yeah. bad do you want it in order to do it? So that's where, like, I look at my parents, like they came to this country uh, about like 39 years ago. And it's like, they didn't know any English whatsoever, but they self-taught themselves. And, and I'm so proud of them for them being so technology friendly and being able to do stuff. And there's the other half of the world where it's just like, no, I can't, I can't do this. There's no way you can teach me how to use a a phone. No, I can't. I just want the flip phone that you press and dial. (laughs) And then that's it. Like they, they're stuck in this mentality of, they put this block in their head of, I can't do anything. Nope. You can't make me. Nope. I just can't. So Yeah. And what behavior is that? What need is that meeting for them? Like a sense of security, right? Like I don't want anything new. Don't burden me with new things. Anything new feels threatening to me. We have so many people resistant to change and resistant, I think, to what you're speaking to, resistant to opportunity by being unwilling to explore change or explore something different. And there's this great book called Mindset, which is about growth versus fixed mindsets. And the growth mindset is like, this is hard, this is difficult, 
but I can learn something from it. There's something of value here, or I'm going to find the pieces of value here and apply them. I'm going to use what is I can from this challenge and to learn and grow and develop versus this the fixed mindset, which is this is how it is. This is how I am. Don't tell me otherwise. I'm going to reject it, feel threatened, you know, push that away in some way. And you end up being trapped within within the space you're in, which is, I mean, fundamentally limiting and but also fundamentally comfortable because it's known. Oh, I know the boundaries of this. I know the walls of my cell that I'm in. I'm, I'm happy with that. I'm like, are you? Are you happy with the walls of your cell that you've built around yourself? Or do you wonder what's outside? Do you wonder what's more curious? What you can be curious about? And I think evolving that sort of growth mindset is hard for some people because we do like what's comfortable. We do like what we what serves us well and what's known to us. And to go into the unknown, to feel like a beginner. I Those folks you were talking about who were 70, like going back to school, what an amazing like investment in like their own growth and their own development at an age when, yeah, it's easy to say you can't teach an old dog new tricks, which by the way, is such an ageist and such a like fixed mindset, like just saying that's kind of gross. Be like, no, you can't learn anything. You are not available to learn. You're not open to learning. Like me telling you that you're not able to learn is really weird and strangely controlling. This just came up to my head. I worked with, um, hold was he at the time. So it was one of those part-time jobs that I had while I was going to school at a retail shop. And this man, I could have sworn he was like 72, 73. He only worked there once a week because he just wanted to be busy. He was at a home living care center, but he was just like, you know, let me get out there once a week and just, you know, see what's out there, see what's going on with the younger generation. And I enjoyed, and I loved speaking to him because the amount of knowledge this man had. And it was amazing because at that time I was again in school for architecture and he was just like, Oh, you know what? Send me some drawings through my email. And I'm thinking this man uses email. (laughs) 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 Yeah. We're shocked. Yeah. Yeah. It was a total shock. And and then he's just like, you know, just email me once in a while. I want to see your progress. Like, this is so fascinating. I'm like, Oh my God, that's so sweet. And he's, I'm like, so what computer do you have at home? He's like, I love Apple products. And at the time he had like a big MacBook desktop station and everything. And I was like, I cannot believe it. Like, this is my point. Like you can teach somebody if they're willing to learn, they're willing to, they're willing to do it. Like, it's just a prime example of this man right here that I worked with that he, he was so, he's like, I love technology. I love getting into it. And I just enjoy it. So email me. And I'm thinking, cool. Then I started emailing him because it was fun. It was a distraction for him. That's so great. And I can tell how already that you're so into bringing out the best in people like, oh, he's curious about this thing. Yeah, I can support that. I'm on board with what you're curious about. Curiosity can lead us to so many amazing places. And I think, I mean, losing curiosity is really one of the like signs that we're in the downward spiral of decay in our lives because without being curious or open or looking for new things or looking for new perspectives, we set ourselves up for like contraction in ways that I think are not super healthy. I definitely agree. And tell the listeners what services you provide. How do you do it? Is it virtual? Is it in person? Like what steps to get into this? Yes, I am in the virtual experience right now due to many reasons. Um, I, my leadership education, I do online courses and I host mastermind groups, which are more intensive year long programs for leaders who are really invested in bringing their emotional intelligence to the fore of their leadership and making that a key part of how they and their organizations and their people in those organizations are going to thrive. So mastermind groups, uh, 
education. I'm just I'm wrapping up a course now. When this comes out, I will have just wrapped up a course, but we probably will have another one coming up in the next month or two. Webinars, you know, kind of interact through the online world, different things like that. I create, uh, I have a conflict management checklist that folks can access at my website. Other random collateral, different things are out there, but uh, all of that is contained at wslleadership.com, which is where you can find what's upcoming for workshops if I have masterminds enrolling. And the conflict management checklist is a free thing. People can access that. And that's about bringing emotional intelligence to those conflicts and those situations like we were talking about. Uh, yeah, it's all on the website. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Iggy, for all your time. And thank you for playing along with my scenarios here because I feel like they're, mo they're very common, especially since the holidays have passed. And, you know, I want people to hear like there's other ways of asking for those uh, constructive uh, feedback and also getting opinions and working with difficult people. And again, like you mentioned, um, the, it's not just the workplace, you know, emotional intelligence can be with it's used in our everyday lives. And thank you for explaining that. Absolutely. It's, it doesn't necessarily mean it's easier, but it gets like, once it becomes a habit, you're like, oh, this, you can see how it works and it, how beautiful it is to build those really rich relationships with people through emotional intelligence. You're absolutely right. Thank you again, Iggy, for all your time. I really enjoyed this. Thanks so much, Angelica. I've loved talking with you today. <laughs> well, to all my listeners, Iggy's information is going to be in the show notes. Definitely check it out. Uh, don't be afraid to ask for opinions. <laughs> but in a Do it! Way. Do it! <laughs> Get out of your comfort zone. Come on, guys. So everything's going to be in the show notes for you. Contact Iggy. And thank you for tuning in on another episode of A Little Bit of Everything with me. And that's all we have for now. I'm Anthony. And I'm Jessica with the Beautiful Feet Podcast. Hey, it's your boy Bromar, host of The Bromar Show. Hello, everyone. It's the Coupon Queen Pen from the CQP Moments Podcast. What's up, everybody? This is your boy Ken, aka The Gentleman of the Gentleman Lifestyle Podcast. Hi, this is Stephanie Valente, your local massage therapist. Now and you're you listening, are to listening to a little, little bit of everything, everything with Angelica. Angelica. That's it for now. And thank you for tuning in on another episode of A Little Bit of Everything with me. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Just don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on the podcast platform that you're listening to.